On Monday, the 8th of March, 2021, it'll be International Women's Day. Uh, this year's theme is Choose to Challenge. How will you help forge a gender equal world? Today, I'm joined by three absolutely amazing women on this panel to discuss this for International Women's Day. Um, firstly, I've got Sally Penny MBE, uh, who is a barrister at Kenworthy's Chamber. She practices in crime and employment law. She's a public speaker, diversity leader. Uh, she's the author of Talking Law and a book that I want to read, Rosie and the Unicorn. She's a bencher at Gray's Inn, a proud mother of three. In 2020, she got her MBE for services to diversity in the workplace to social mobility and the law. Next, we have Amanda Illing, who is the Chief Executive at Hardwick Chambers. Uh, in 2015, she got the Silver Award for Inspirational Women of the Year. And in 2019, Legal 500 awarded her Chief Executive of the Year Award. Last but not least, we have Bree Stevens QC, who's described as a force to be reckoned with. She's a leading silk. Uh, she, was, uh, she won the Real Estate Silk of the Year. In 2019, she was Barrister of the Year at the Modern Law Awards, and um, she has been shortlisted for the Collaborative Leadership Award in the Women, Influence and Power in Law UK Award 2021. So fingers crossed for the 10th of March. Now, I'm going to start with um, an easy question. Um, starting with you, Amanda, what are the biggest challenges facing women um, in the practice management at the bar? Thanks, Mario. Um, and we should also say that we're also joined by the very fabulous Maria. <laughs> Indeed. She's a force of nature. She absolutely is. Um, I would say um, that um, getting a chance and people giving you a chance to come into practice management is one of the biggest challenges. Um, I started my career as a civil servant. I was quite a senior civil servant. I came into a clerk's room, um, an all-male clerk's room, and I came in because uh, some barristers saw something in me that I could bring to the table that the other male barristers' clerks who were candidates at the time didn't offer because I had something different to give. I had a different career beforehand um, and... Uh, I was an, a woman and an outsider because my dad wasn't a barrister's clerk, he was an electrician. So I think the biggest challenge and the biggest thing we can do is to um, open the door and show people what it's like and bring them in. Yeah, thank you, Amanda. Bree, I'm not sure if you've frozen. Can you hear us? I can hear you, yes. Okay. Um, would you be able to answer that question from the barrister bar point of view what are the biggest challenges facing women at the bar 
Um, I think women at the bar face the challenges that are faced by women in most sectors and professions. But I think one of the ones that's particularly acute for women at the bar is what I'll call the myth of meritocracy. Yeah, there is this belief that as self-employed individuals, the vast majority of the bar being in private practice, that we're in competition and it's the perfect example of meritocracy at work and those who are best will rise to the top. And that assumes two things, it seems to me. One, that it's just about your skills and your ability and nothing else influences how far you go in the profession, which certainly my experience has been is complete bunkum. Um, it's about opportunities. It's about how people perceive you. It's about all the barriers that are putting your way and how they impact on you and then how you see yourself. So many things. But more than that, it assumes that we can somehow measure merit properly and therefore check that we've got the right people. For me, I start from an assumption that across all the characteristics, whether you're talking you know, legally protected characteristics or other things, that pretty well the best in terms of intellectual ability, analytical mind, all the sort of things, blah, 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 that you need as a barrister would be fairly evenly spread. But then you look at the bar and you know, hang on, either they're not and particular groups have an excess of them or something's gone badly wrong. And I think if you just stop and think for a minute, the assessment of merit is incredibly difficult. I think the truth is there is no absolute objective way of doing it. It will always have subjectivity in it. The extreme of that is within an organization, we have a real habit of assessing whether someone's good by reference to what I would call quantity and volume. They put in the hours, they shout about what they do, and people think they're good. So hence my seeing it as a myth of meritocracy. And I think that is hugely disadvantageous for women. People don't assume that we're going to be at the top of the profession. Many women, and it's, you know, it's not the opposite same, not all men are loud and doing ridiculous macho hours, and some women do. But by and large, women don't ram home, I'm marvellous, I'm marvellous. They cringe an awful lot more about that. We, we three sat here cringing, as you said, things that are our achievements. And yet, I know I did, and I saw Amanda and, and Sally do the same. So, um, Sally, let's bring in intersectionality. What needs to change to address racial and gender discrimination at the bar? I'm obviously starting from the assumption that there is both racial and gender discrimination, but if I'm wrong, you can start by uh, correcting me there. Well, I, I think also often we say, don't we, to our pupils and our children, don't assume anything, uh, but that basis of you starting is, is spot on, um, uh, Maria. Um, uh, two things really, gender uh, and race, of course there's an intersectionality um, there, as with so many 
uh, areas. And the recent bar standards report into pay at the bar saw, you know, black women being one of the lowest or the lowest paid in the profession, uh, which leads me to talk nationally about the ethnic pay gap, because Brie alluded to this earlier on about difficulties um, faced are similar in other sectors as well. And so those issues, we're not alone in those issues, but that doesn't mean that we ought not to be doing more. Um, for me to address, I mean, that's a whole podcast in itself, right, for another <laughs> time. But if I can just be brief and summarize some of the uh, ways, um, as I see it, um, uh, are numerous, but firstly, recognizing that intersectionality is a problem uh, and the pay is a problem. I, I don't mean just what women earn, uh, but I mean opportunity to earn. And of course we know in the criminal sector where I work, multi-handed cases, you know, the conspiracies, the frauds, those cases that really show and demonstrate, uh, as well as you know, uh, other serious areas, show and demonstrate one's ability, the murders, quite simply don't go to women. And so when it comes to leadership roles, actually the women sit down and look, and, and so access to their work needs to be increased. And we can do that by not making assumptions. So the women who have got caring responsibilities, not just children, but elderly care and social care, planning ahead. So for example, we've got brilliant Amanda Withers. Clark can actually give notice to people who've got caring responsibilities to say, such a case is coming up. Would you be available to do it and so on? So they're at least given the opportunity to say yes, or no, or make arrangements, not making the assumptions. It's so crucial. Uh, and because sometimes to be fair to clerks, they can they can appear to be doing or think they're doing uh, those people, men and women to a large extent, a favor by not asking. You know, we thought it was school holidays. So we didn't ask and offer you the opportunity to do a, a big case in property or whatever else. So that needs to change and that needs to be a more open conversation. Uh, also, those who receive certain types of work in, in the different specialisms, uh, because quite often um, in the race and gender category, you know, there's a high proportion of minority, particularly women, doing publicly funded work. That needs to change. Uh, that needs to be spread out to the commercial and chancery bar, um, who, to be fair, have recognised that, and I've seen an increase in, in their recognition and active um, work being done through workshops and, uh, and so on to encourage more people to come and practise there. But that just needs to stop, uh, full stop. People ought to be saying, well, I fancy a, a chance at a chancery or whatever else and we need to be welcoming so when you ask that question about intersectionality it, it is right but we do need to recognize that that certainly you know minority women and it is different i don't like the term bame we can that's another podcast in itself so i'll use uh, yeah um you know black and ethnic minority or people with whose heritage is from africa uh, full stop, uh, and you know, in Caribbean, because we all understand that, and that can extend to men. But so far as women are concerned, we need to have an open mind in respect of that intersectionality, and also, I think, role models. Um, I think we need to see visible role models and things that shouldn't become abnormal. You know, three, six black women taking silk in 2019 was hugely celebrated. 
I think it's 2019. We've been stuck in COVID for so long. We've all got our dates mixed up. We've lost a year, haven't we? But that shouldn't be so big. It was wonderful. And there were certain things, you know, really great. But actually it was big news because it still hasn't become the norm. And so that also ought to change. And we mustn't feel like we're competing with all the other sections of the bar all the time. We shouldn't think just because, you know, there's a bit of progress on gender that our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQI community are okay, or they're doing better than us or our trans brothers and sisters um, or our disabled colleagues are doing better. Um, you know, we often seem to be competing, no, there is intersectionality in those areas and we need to be inclusive of that. Uh, and the public have more confidence in us, the more we actually represent the communities that we, we act for. Uh, and so I think we just need to be comfortable in that. I'm quite, you know, our male colleagues, they're not the enemy, they can be allies. Absolutely. So those are my views on those issues. No, thank you, Sally. Amanda, coming back to you, in terms of the practice room and um, practice management, what do you do or what, um, what can you do to help forge that um, gender um, equality um, at the bar? Um, well, I think I come back to where I started. It's all about opportunity and, um, and making sure that you provide opportunities for um, everyone, every talented person that, um, uh, to, to come and experience um, what it's like in chambers. So I think work experience programs are really good because what you want to do is you want to entice and encourage um, your talent pool at a really early stage. So that's that's something that we've been involved in for many years. And um, it's it's uh, it, it has great results that you encourage people to come. Um, Recruitment practices. I mean, I, I hate to say this, but um, um, chambers generally. I mean, this is a this is a this is a sort of a, a general proposition that the easy thing to do in a small chambers when you're in a hurry is to recruit from a very small pool um, and not and not advertise and not look widely and not be clear about the, the skills and experience or the skills that you're looking for because you can give people experience. It's the core skills that you're looking to, to attract. And if you advertise widely, you will get um, a huge response. I mean, we've just, just a bit of data, we've just recruited, um, to entry level posts um, into the into the practice team, um, and we had fifteen hundred people apply for the pack. We had one hundred and fifty applicants, um, and wow. the talent pool was absolutely amazing. And um, we appointed four women, <laughs> and that's you know, and two of them are women of color. And two of Brilliant. them women of colour. Brilliant. And that is an award in itself. You know, <laughs> four women. It is, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, Bree, what can women do to get more involved in leadership roles? Oh, well, 
it's, it's interesting because if anyone's looked at the Chancery Bar's Voices of Women report, what you can see, and there's a, there's a double-edged sword to this, um, that actually there's a real tendency for women to do a disproportionate amount of the extracurricular work. Sorry, can't pronounce that very well. <laughs> extracurricular work. Yes. So working in SBAs, working for the Bar Council, all those things, women do in much greater proportions than men. And those are routes to actually having, whether as formal assigned leadership roles as we had with Amanda Pinto last year, or other roles within having power, having influence. So I think it's about if your inclination is, which it clearly is with women, to contribute more widely than just the work they're doing and furthering their own careers, that actually doing, doing that additional work can be a way of stepping into leadership. It's about understanding your power and your ability to influence, being absolutely prepared to make your voice heard but at the same time very much along the line Sally was talking about in terms of being intersectional and inclusive amplifying other voices when you see around you others who aren't being heard then giving making sure you're giving space and, and increasing the volume of their voice because actually well as soon as we start regularly consistently amplifying a wider variety of voices it rolls on from there and it changes and it begins to look and feel like rising up and getting to the top is something that anyone can do no allyship is very important as you as you say um sally what do you think the role of allies um are in relation to trying to get gender equality um, the short answer is huge, um, but um, that would end that answer, wouldn't it? Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate and maybe touch a bit on what we what Brie was talking about too. Um, I think huge, and actually on, on reflection, um, you know, at the criminal bar, uh, certain you know sectors of the bar are better represented. You know, the family bar, brilliant. There's loads of women there. And they're so collegiate and, you know, supportive of each other. Other sectors, you know, we're sometimes jealous of their um, kind of, you know, kindness to one another and encouragement. And so our allies are, are crucial because they come in all sorts of guises and disguises because, you know, often men don't want to come to anything with a label, anything with women, gosh, they run a mile or you know uh, or whatever else god in an lgbt oh, well, you, but but you're heterosexual can you attend yes can you be an ally yes so you know one actually just needs to think outside and see how we can be allies on whatever the issue is it's not doing too much it's recognizing that we all benefit by being supportive uh, of each other you know diversity is not just being invited to dinner it's actually being allowed to eat and dance not stand at the door so for me allies are important and they do come in our, 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 co our male colleagues who recognize that we need um, more um, leadership um, in many guises and just if I could may just touch on what Brie was saying about how women can get involved in more leadership roles at the bar 
and this is an issue that I think will resonate with a lot of women. The attrition rates are still not great. They're better, but they're still not great. And I'm afraid COVID will see that increase. And in the publicly funded areas of the bar, our male colleagues will also find that, you know, the retention is not brilliant. But that's why I really welcome the, the bar council's inaugural leadership program, which Bree's been heavily involved in, because it takes that sector of people who, you know, would have been me a few years ago thinking, crikey, is this job worth it? Um, and, you know, should you say, and I have quite a lot of colleagues who left and came back and so on and so forth, and looks at them to plan kind of their futures or have an idea about leadership. Because at the bar, we often sit for somebody. I think it's called, is it called Queen Bee Syndrome? These clever coaches, you know, these people who do other things other than the law, unlike us, um, come up with these terms. But we sit and wait for somebody, usually a judge, to say, Sally, you did a great job there. Have you thought about sitting? Uh, you know, Brie, brilliant. I don't know if this happened to Brie, but have you thought about silk? Oh, so you could be sitting forever, quite frankly. You know, I'm quite grey now. I know it doesn't look it. You can see, I won't come too close to, to the screen. But the reality is, that you could be waiting forever. And so we do need to think, particularly women, about being strategic and think about leadership positions and where we might be. And sometimes not, that's not always a traditional progression, but in the main it is, it is silk. It is um, thinking about part-time sittings or tribunal sittings and uh, so on, but also committees. I think that to think about leadership, giving our time, uh, on committees, not just the obvious bar council type committee, but where we can make a difference and where really we can hone our leadership uh, skills. And Brie is right about the Make Your Voices Heard report. I have, heard, I have read it. Some people call it fluff. The women are involved in too much fluff, um, which is usually about being a role model, being visible, encouraging others, all those things. And I, to be fair, you know, we do disproportionately do those and minorities tend to do those as well. Um, but we do feel that pressure and we're not rewarded for it really very much. And it goes back to this point that about merit, that we not only have to be good, we have to be exceptional. And so that also needs to change. So when we're thinking about leadership, I think it's really, really crucial for us all to reconsider strategy and have a vague plan uh, and then form the allies to um, support that or encourage that so that we are visible role models to those who are coming behind us and unless he is called. Does that make sense? Because I really think allies are important, but they're only important when they're effective and proactive. Um, you know, and not just saying anyone can wear an LGBTQ lanyard or go to Pride, but what are they doing beyond that? Are they calling out issues in the robing rooms? Are they advising people who are still facing, you know, discriminatory practices or comments and, and so on and so forth? So I think that the, the allyship needs to come from all sources. And sometimes it's got to come, I'm afraid, from um, the WAMs, which uh, Brie and I have discussed about yeah. on my podcast, and sectors that may be not automatically natural, uh, you know, it's got to come from the people you least expect it sometimes, and we need to encourage, encourage them. Amanda, how do we encourage um, our male allies? quite difficult because we have a really good experience of the most wonderful male allies on 
you know, in the practice room. Um, uh, they made though, barrister colleagues. Or did they come that way? <laughs> <laughs> they were taught to be it. Yeah, <laughs> by us. Teaching. Quietly. Teaching. <laughs> what do you think, Bree? Um, I think, I think taking uh, for me whenever I see one of the WAM group, well, white heterosexual able-bodied male. It's my very affectionate name for them. I love it. The awful things they normally get called. Um, But when I see one of that group experiencing being other, being out of their comfort zone, just a sort of gentle reminder that for some of us, that's how we feel most of our professional lives uh, in varying degrees and with varying levels of acuteness. So I think every human being understands how disempowering feelings, it's not your space, you're not safe in this space, you don't belong, people are looking at you. And as Sally said, looking at you as, as the category they see you and holding you to account for that category most human beings at some point have experienced some of those feelings and as soon as they understand that and then see that other groups are experiencing that acutely repeatedly or utterly consistently they can actually relate to well when I'm not feeling that I'm in a better position to step up and say hang on a minute this isn't right because what you've said has that effect or you know and it's far more powerful in many ways I'm language is one of the things I challenge quite a lot including my own I'm being deeply irritated at the moment in a team I'm working on on a case that very often there are emails that say guys and um, I'm the only female I'm the senior lawyer but I'm the only female and it's guys 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 but I was challenging myself only 18 months ago, 22 years ago, to stop saying that every time I left the practice room on a Friday, I was saying, guys, have a good weekend. And then it's like, why am I saying guys? (laughs) I need to say everyone or all of you, you know? So language is a thing that I quite often pull myself up about and be public about pulling myself up about, but also gently nudge other people and say, you know, when you're saying reception is manned, how about staffed? <laughs> you know? So I don't know, there's little things yeah. that you can help people to see how it's impacting. And then if someone if someone steps up for you, absolutely acknowledge they've done that and appreciate that they've done that. No, absolutely. Um, you the three of you are obviously um amazing role models for other people, but um <laughs> Um, who are your yes. role models? Uh, we've all fro- we've all frozen, <laughs> not not with the technology, but just with with nerves, um, thinking. Um, okay, shall I go first? Yeah, yeah. I think my first role model was Billie Jean King. Um, and I mean, they've made a film about it now, Battle of the Sexes. But I think I was only about ten or eleven. When she did that whole, well, first of all, was campaigning um, with the other uh, female tennis players on the circuit for equal pay. And that was sort of being, they were being very much ignored, pushed down, having their 
campaigning um, stance called out against them and effectively blocked out of paying. And then she did this challenge of I'll have I'll play a pro male, a particularly outspoken chauvinistic male. And she took him on and she ultimately won the match. And for me, the sort of use of her platform as a very well-known, very popular female tennis player and the creative use of her platform. You know, straight campaigning didn't work. So she found another way and a thing that caught people's imagination and had a real impact way beyond anything she could have done with all the women that were involved in the campaign she'd been involved in. So, yeah, I liked the sort of smiling, joking, smart, witty, different way of campaigning and getting the message home. That's mine. No, thank you, Bree. Um, anybody else want to talk about anybody that's inspired them? Um, uh, I ask this all the time, don't I, on the podcast? Uh, you do. <laughs> um, so I should have it to hand. So um, I suppose I... I I've got a few, and if I go, can go somewhat backwards, um, you know, Oprah Winfrey, she's American, but, you know, we'll forgive her that, um, it was one of my early role models because we were never allowed to watch television, really. We read a lot as children. Mum and Dad never had any money. And so when we could, we watched the Oprah show. And uh, I don't mean because she's enormously wealthy, no interest in that, really. But I like the way that she was a woman who was using her platform. So because she was a black woman, she really did, um, you know, feature and showcase people from all backgrounds, really. But black women on her shows you know with all sorts of issues and then I'd like the way she you know then developed a foundation and then she was doing a load of other work and so on and her stories always appealed to me but at the bar the first time I saw a black practitioner was on what used to be Brie will remember this and maybe Amanda the you won't uh, Marie way too young the Human Rights Act was a compulsory course and um when it was first in so we all had to you know travel down to London I think it was a SOAS I can't remember um, and do this compulsory course all weekend and after lunch this one of the trainers they were all the bar came on stage we'd all um you know it was at the gravy slot to an extent because everyone had a large lunch and it was in Esther Weeks Queen's Council and um, so she was in Silk even then, I think. Crikey, I hope that's not showing her age. But I've never seen this sort of very, very young. Yeah, very elegant black woman who was very clear. I think she only said two words and we all stopped you know, messing about and focus on whatever she was saying. And she had like very short hair, which was starting to gray, very trendy glasses, like breeze. So she was authentic. And I've just never seen that before. I didn't think, you know, I knew about Baroness Scotland um, and I knew about Margaret Casey Hayford, but I didn't, you know, didn't quite, because she became transferred to become a solicitor and was one of the first black female partners in the city. But I didn't know them and they were, I didn't know lawyers. And so it was the first time I was within really distance. I sound like a stalker, but I really wasn't. And so I followed her up. So that, that was kind of a visual um, impact. But in truth, and in latter years, I have found people like Brie and, you know, senior women at the bar, Joe Delahanty, who've had, you know, three children, hugely um, uh, uh, 
professional and successful, but actually the role models are the women who actually will have a chat with you about X or um, who actually will do stuff. So I tend to be attracted to kind of role models and inspiring, inspiring people who are doers, who are not talking shops. Um, and so they tend to appeal to me a lot, um, those type of people. And that really was why I started the Talking Law podcast, because I really wanted to showcase the diversity of the bar, the people who weren't all posh, the people who weren't all straight or white, the people who were women, who came from all sorts of different backgrounds, that they were there and we could all aspire to be those people. And for me, that's kind of what role modeling is and inspirational people is because I didn't see enough of those and I didn't know them. And if you don't have a mother or father who knows lawyers, then how do you see these people? How do you hear their stories? How do you, you know, have a sense of leadership of where you could go, or where you could um, achieve or what you could achieve as a leader? So those are sort of the kind of um, the range of role models, really, um, uh, for me. So sorry to embarrass you, um, uh, Bree, but I, I, that was what, you know, they are kind of the, the sort of people in, in, in this you know, for me, um, uh, even though I feel ancient now, I, I feel privileged to still be able to find people at the bar who, you know, inspire me. Do you think the Black Women in Law um, group is helping to create um, those sort of role models for... Um... Yes, it Yes, it is. So that was started by Alexandra Wilson, um, yeah. who uh, wrote In Black and White and is a young woman... Um, who is doing you know fantastic thing and it has a range of you know very junior uh lawyers um there and they're trying to do more professional development stuff so i i think that is helping and helping people to have ac access um to that and it will develop because alexandra is obviously very young you know i think she's only about two years old or something um so i do think it needs a a, a cross-section of senior to junior uh, uh, of women and a, a bit in between and in that group because I've been added to that group I get added to all sorts um, you know there's a lot of talk about a variety of issues not just actually um, the issues that one would expect and it needs to have I think you know, I'm more for diversity in all guises but I do appreciate that people need to have a safe space to discuss certain issues to them uh, and so I think that group will help, especially as time goes on. Yes, no. Do we let Sally into the fact that she's a role model? <laughs> oh, no. You do know that, don't you, Sally? And this is the problem. Someone said to me, someone said to me, probably about eight years ago, Brie, you don't have a choice. You are a role model. Your only choice is about what sort of role model you are. So I'm going to say that to you, Sally. <laughs> oh gosh well oh, uh, thank you well I think Amanda's a role model because one. I haven't she met is. Amanda before but I've read a lot about her. yeah and the Clark's room is a place that needs role models and Absolutely. needs you know not restructuring not the right word but really does need you know thinking about constantly about progression and to have a senior woman clerk you know my our first clerk was a man and he used to change the you know the bulbs in you know anything that went wrong Dennis was there we didn't have as many div divisions as it were not in my current chambers so I think Amanda is a role model and the ability to you know attract so many people for that role um is rare and unique 
uh, and you know and that ought to be an achievement because that takes somebody to think about how to recruit and what sort of you know people one wants to attract so you've got choice and opportunity so yeah i, I think that uh, uh amanda you're also a, a role model um for many more sorry i think i cut in there i didn't mean to i hope i, I can say, i think the thing with amanda actually has been creating a culture in chambers an inclusive um uh culture um within it and obviously Bree's head of uh Chambers now with um, EJ. So having that very strong leadership um, team, um, I think um, is yes. vital to things um, moving forward at the bar, including gender uh, equality. I'm meant to be chairing, not... Um, not <laughs> 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 Really? Your contribution is wonderfully received, <laughs> but, uh, so uh, uh, chair Don't or worry. not. <laughs> so I... um, my last question to you is, um, what would you say is your greatest leadership achievement to date, starting with you, Um I think, I hope um, it will prove to be, but I think uh, the Bar Leadership Programme, which Sally mentioned, and both Sally and you, Maria, have been involved in. I think of all the things I've got involved in, it has the potential to have the biggest impact in terms of it's targeted at people from five to 15 years in practice, and actually giving people access to networks that they haven't got confidence in those networks, including with each other, um, giving them an ability to see themselves as leaders and how they might step into that space in, in a whole variety of ways um, and empowering them in that respect. And so for me, that, you know, it's been something I have to give full credit to Sam Mercer who you know from the first time we had a conversation about the possibilities many years ago has been absolutely committed to trying to make it happen um, and then Amanda Pinto for stepping up and making the inaugural one happen in her year but you know seeing it as a long long-term project and being willing to keep the conversation going and trying to move closer and closer to having it happen and then making it happen when COVID came in because it was meant to be an in-person program and it suddenly became online um so yeah that's, that's had its advantages hasn't it, it has, in, it's, in it's involving in uh, accessibility yeah. um and involving I mean it's such a rich cohort of the bar across the country across areas of practice all the underrepresented groups are overrepresented compared to their presence at the bar. You know, it's two thirds women, half um, people of color. We've got disabled, we've got LGBTQI, we've got, we've got the range. <laughs> and it's fantastic to see them all committed and talking and now rising to their challenges. Um, Amanda or Sally, who would like to go next? Greatest leadership achievement to date. Shall I go next? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's um, after years of working hard at it and um, being now in a privileged position of being the person in charge, you can much better influence change. And um, I think, therefore, I 
I sort of reflect on the change of culture that I've led and you know and it's not always easy you have to keep working at it you don't always get support for it with your colleagues um, you have to keep working at it and that is you know and I think it's then being able to reflect on a change in culture a change in language as Bree said before you have to you know you have to keep driving home the words that aren't acceptable and um, and the practices that aren't acceptable it's not acceptable just to appoint somebody who's somebody's friend or you know you have to have open competition because what you want is the talent pool to end up with your four fabulous women or you know four fabulous people um so yeah I think that's my biggest achievement I think <laughs> but it's not over yet and it's one of many Amanda <laughs> one of many yes and I don't know if Amanda shared with us her role models is she no um so I've been very lucky I mean I've I'm very lucky that I come from a very in sort of multicultural family so I've got lots of kind of personal uh, and family role models but professionally and I think I brought that into my job if you like um, professionally many years ago I worked for um, Dame Barbara Mills when she was the director of public prosecutions um, she was a fantastic role model um, in that uh, the uh, you know the picking up the typos and <laughs> That's where I get that from, Brie, just saying. <laughs> um, and I remembered really vividly that she used to write to every woman, successful woman silk on the announcement on Silk's Day. And, and I was her private secretary. So that, you know, it stayed very much with me that she did that. Roll on a few years. I was then... Um, I was um, Cherie Booth's clerk for many years and Cherie used to write, I mean Cherie does lots of amazing amazing things but Cherie also used to write to every successful woman silk on silks you know on silks day and you know that in itself is you know working with other role models has an amazing influence on you and how you then take that forward and how you spread that with other people. On the practice management side, um, there aren't very many women role models that have sort of came before me, but I was we were all very, very, very lucky to work with Deborah Anderson, who had been a barrister's clerk for over 40 years. Um, I think what she what she demonstrates is you can be yourself and this is a bit of what you were talking about before you don't have to behave like the thing that you see in front of you you can <laughs> you can be yourself and if you are yourself and with Deborah um, she you know absolute class act she was fantastic at the job but she was kind sensitive she you know she puts her arm around other people, other women in particular. Pre-COVID. Say again. Pre-COVID. Yeah, pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, she's been a fantastic role model, not just to me and other people that worked with her, uh, uh, you know, in our, in 
this chambers, but in every single job that she's had before, many barristers that she's worked with, many barristers who are now judges themselves, you know, it, so um, I hope that, you know, she's sort of the first of very many um, women clerks and practice managers who also put their virtual arms and then eventually their arms around other women to encourage them because it's a very it's it's not a job for everyone you know it's not it it, it it's quite a demanding job and um it requires certain skills and abilities but you get better with experience and you only get experience if you get the chance to do it in the first place and somebody helps you along the way Yes, yeah, which is um, really, really, really spot on. Um, uh, sorry, I don't, have I, I don't know if I've answered your question about leadership. You tried to dodge it, so. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well What's spotted. Been your, well, what is it, your greatest leadership achievement? Yes. Yes, I, you find this difficult because I, I still, if I'm honest, you know, I don't, I'm not in silk, I don't sit. Da, 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 da. So I don't know that I have got a great leadership achievement per se. And I remember when I was approached, and Brie knows this, um, to be a senior mentor on the leadership program. I thought, fantastic. And I said, no, um, because you've got silks and very senior people also as fellow um mentors um on senior mentors on there um and i fancy the course myself i think is great and then uh, brie was like no you you're a leader um and i hear this a lot from people and so it's probably a bit of imposter syndrome going i suppose if if i was um you know really truthful and i know my honor doesn't reflect this it's it, it's probably my work with women in the law um uk uh, because I've tried to have a platform that deals with um, gender equality, inequality and the skills that we all need. Um, and I try to use that to kind of have a force and, and have a, a presence um, and do things better. Things that I didn't see, you know, the, the, the considerations that I didn't have or hadn't thought of so that um, women coming, and we do have men who attend, um, come, can actually really look at those issues and also using that platform to, to be better ally to other sectors, uh, which all too often one doesn't see, you know, so you've got one sector who just deals with this or one association just deals with a specific issue uh, and I've so I've really tried to grow that so that not only have we got a voice for women but actually we can deal with intersectionality and so I have been proud of of growing it and getting more encouragement and having younger people to senior people and covering those um areas and with you know um some difficulty in doing that um because I, I am a black woman, you know, the point about authenticity was spot on. I, I can't be anybody else. Um, I think it was um, uh, Oscar Wilde who said it, I can only be me, everybody else has taken. And so I, I've really tried that. And in doing that, it has meant that the audience who often attend webinars or seminars or whatever are more mixed. Um, they are black, they are women, they are gay, they are trans and they are disabled. So. 
actually, I've really tried to use that um, platform to do a wider thing. So I'm proud of that. And, um, and I'm proud of through that, having using the podcast to reach people, students, uh, men, a whole variety of people that I think sometimes can feel disengaged or disassociated with the bar and what we do. Um, and that's reached some of them. And I only know this because people send me lots of DMs. I don't always read them, of course, but I just glance <laughs> at them. And, I, and I'm really proud of them because, you know, there was one last tweet from a woman who was uh, a solicitor who's been furloughed for almost a year. And she said that she'd found the podcast a real solace and that she really took comfort from people who were on there being interviewed. And I, and you know, and then to students who, or women who are mature or want to come to the bar. And, you know, there was an Asian chap who was gay and uh, he's Muslim. And he said, I've really enjoyed them. And I feel as though I could be myself. So I'm proud of that because it means that people have got a, a voice. And I don't often think about it because I'm just getting on with it. So I struggled to answer that question because I was thinking, oh, have I achieved anything? But actually, wait a minute, I, I have. So if you indulge me, I, I think that's being uh, one of my greatest leadership um, achievements in the main. Thank you so much to all three of you. I think all that's left for me to say is have a fantastic International Women's Day on Monday. Hardwick is a barrister's chambers which specialises in legal advice and advocacy in the areas of clinical negligence and personal injury, commercial dispute resolution, construction, insolvency, insurance, private client, professional liability and property. This podcast is provided free of charge for information purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied on as such. No responsibility for the accuracy and or correctness of the information and commentary or any consequences of relying on it is assumed or accepted by any member of Hardwick or by Hardwick as a whole.